copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, find Exodus chapter 2. Find the book of Exodus chapter 2. And I want you to imagine a superhero in your mind. And you probably are imagining someone, they've got an S on their chest, they've got the flowy cape, they've got the little hair thing, right, that Superman's got. But we need to remember that not all heroes wear capes, right? We may think about the cape and the spandex and all of that, but there are other indicators that give it away. And when the people of Israel wanted to think about a deliverer, a hero that would come to save them, they looked to the men and women of faith in the past. They thought of Noah of Abraham, of Sarah, of Joseph. They look to the past in order to understand the events in the present. And that's actually what we're going to see in Exodus chapter 2 this morning. We're going to get introduced to a hero, to a savior, to the deliverer that the nation was longing for as they were suffering under slavery. And we're going to see that the deliverer could be recognized because he looked like men in the past. So here's our central point as we dive into Exodus chapter 2. Our central point is that God sent a deliverer to rescue his people. God sent a deliverer to rescue his people, but he is truly an unlikely deliverer on the surface. Look with me now, Exodus chapter 2, we'll read the whole chapter together. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer... She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with butcherman and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent to her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages." So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, seeing no one. He struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why did you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. 
Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherd came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Sipporah. And she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is the word of God. Those words there at the ending are simply breathtaking, aren't they? God heard their cries, and he remembered all the promises he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and God knew. And before we even dive much into the text this morning, we need to remember that we serve a God who hears, a God who we can pray to, and a God who answers prayers. The people of God cried out in their groaning, but many of us groan in our crying. Exodus 2 is an invitation to pray, to seek God, and the people did it tirelessly with confidence before him, knowing that God would keep his promise. Wherever you are, even in your deepest pain, seek God and cry out to the God who hears, the God who sees, and the God who knows. In fact, that's the first thing we see is that God answered his people's prayers by sending a deliverer. Friends, Moses came and God sent Moses in response to the people's prayers. And through this whole chapter, we're going to see him prepared for what God had for him in the future. The people of Israel cried out in their slavery and God responded by sending a deliverer, a man named Moses. Now later, there's a sermon by a guy named Stephen. He's one of the first deacons, and he preached a sermon in the book of Acts chapter 7. You can look this up later if you're curious, but he summarizes Moses' life in three 40-year segments. He spent 40 years in Pharaoh's house, he spent 40 years in Midian, and then he spent 40 years leading the people of God to the promised land. So Moses dies at around 120 And he spends basically a third of his life in each of these spots. In Exodus 2, we see Moses, we see his his birthday, right? He's given birth through Pharaoh's house all the way through his time in Midian. So I tell you all that to say chapter 2 of Exodus covers 80 years of Moses' life. Covers some serious ground, doesn't it? But this is important for us to think about. Think of this. Some of us think that our usefulness to God is in the past. Maybe we're too old, we're too tired. Life's just too hectic to serve God. But remember this, Moses didn't step into what God prepared for his life until he was 80 years old. You probably would be thinking, God, couldn't you have done this when I was 20? (laughs) 
Couldn't he have called me to do this when I was in my prime? But God called him to this to rescue the people in his 80s, well past his prime time. And all through these 80 years, God was preparing him. So don't count out the beginning or the ending. Don't think that your faithful service to God is in is, is in the rear view. It may come in the twilight of your life. Don't count how God and when God may use you. There is a sense in which God doesn't believe in retirement. <laughs> now, he believes you, you're welcome to retire from your vocation, but we never retire from serving him, do we? In fact, God may call you to serve him with even more passion and vigor and fruitfulness in the last 40 years of your life. And Moses here, before he's ever going to deliver the people at age 80, God is going to use those 80 years to prepare him to do something here. And we begin to get the picture that Moses is not just another Hebrew, that he was an unlikely deliverer, and that the signs of a deliverer were all over his life. And like I said, the people of Israel would look to the past to understand the present. And so they have four depictions here. We kind of get four snapshots of Moses looking like men of the past. We begin to see by looking back on these men of faith, we see that God was at work in Moses' life as well. The deliverer could be recognized because he looked like certain men in the past. And here's the first one we see. We see that Moses is a new Adam. That Moses was a new Adam. Look at verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went home and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. First, notice, Moses came through the line of the Levites. And they're going to go on to be the line of the priesthood. So Moses is going to act as a sort of priest for the people. He's going to act as a king, right? We know he's going to lead the people and rule the people of Israel for a time. And we know he's going to act as a prophet later. God's going to speak to him and through him to the people. So Moses, prophet, priest, king, fulfilling all that God wanted in terms of leadership for his people. And we get words of anticipation. The woman conceived and bore a son. And that may seem kind of odd to us. We're like, well, isn't that how that happens? Right? The woman conceives, and then she gives birth. But every time we read about conception and birth in the book of Genesis, it meant something big was about to happen. Because the people, the nation, was longing for that Genesis 3 Savior to come, to crush the head of the serpent, and to restore God's people back to the garden. And, and we're probably wondering, is this going to be him? And while he isn't going to fulfill all of that, he is going to play an important role in the story. And look how the verse continues. She conceives, she gives birth, and she saw that he was a fine child, and she hid him three months. Now, many of our Bible translations may cause us to miss an important detail here. Because to say he was a fine child, one, that sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? You're kind of like, what is what does that mean, right? In fact, the book of Acts says that the people saw him and thought he was beautiful. And that's definitely part of it. But the text in Hebrew literally reads, she saw her baby and he was good. <laughs> Where have we heard that language before? Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right? God created and said it was good. And somehow, some way, we see Moses' mother looking on her child and saying, he is going to do something great. 
He's going to be a sort of new Adam. He's going to lead this people to a new place. He's going to serve an important role. He's going to bring them into some sort of new creation. He's going to play a role in God's restoration story. And I don't think this is Moses being the overly optimistic or particularly doting mother, right? You know, some mothers, every child of theirs is going to go on to be Jesus himself, right? That's not kind of, this is a woman of faith, seen through the eyes of faith, that God was going to do something through her son. And so she hid him. Pharaoh, remember last week, we saw he was murdering all the Hebrew boys, And so Moses' mother here in an act of faith and obedience hides her child. And she rescues the one who's going to rescue her. (laughs) She delivers the deliverer by giving birth to him, but also by keeping him safe from Pharaoh. Moses is a sort of new Adam. He's going to bring these people into new creation. And what happens next is only meant to amplify his status as a deliverer to us. Look at verse 3. Look what happens. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with birchamin and pitch. She put her child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. So she rescued her child, placed him in a basket, and floated him down the river to safety. Now, If your Bible has a footnote, I'd love for you to look and see if it's there or not. But your Bible may have a footnote noting that the word basket here in Hebrew is actually the same word used for ark. She built a tiny ark, placed him in it, and he goes on down. He goes on down the river. She even covers the ark with the same thing Noah's ark was covered in pitch and butcherman. So think about it. She's placing him in this tiny boat, sends him down the river in hopes of him being saved. This should shoot off uh, fireworks, messages in our head that there's something important happening here that Moses would not simply be a new Adam, but he would be second, a new Noah. That Moses is, at least in the minds of the author here, a new Noah, remember the end of chapter 1, the, Hebrew, the Pharaoh was going to drown all the newborn Hebrews in the Nile, but this newborn baby boy is going to be saved through the water in an ark. The water that was going to destroy the rest of his generation was going to cause Moses to survive. What was meant to kill him was going to become a source of salvation. And this actually is not where the the parallel between Moses and Noah ends. Let me show you something here. You'll see this in your notes, comparing Moses and Noah. Look at this. And these are just a sample of ways. Noah and Moses have a lot in common. Moses and Noah both made distinctions between clean and unclean animals. You're going to see that later in the book of Exodus. Noah, when he got off the boat, offered a sacrifice, and Moses is going to talk a lot about how to sacrifice and give God instructions for sacrifice later in the book. God made a covenant with Noah and with Adam, and there's a lot more that we could see here, but both of them are rescued through an ark. Here we see Moses is going to bring about a work similar to what Noah would do. And it previews for us, Moses is going to again pass through water to deliver his people, isn't he? He's going to pass through the Red Sea, and he's going to lead the people through waters of judgment into a new promised land, and God will make a covenant with him and be with him. God heard the cries of his people, and he sends someone who looks a lot like Adam and a lot like Noah. 
But the story doesn't stop there. Moses is placed in the ark. He floats down the river. And look what happens next, verse 4. Look at this. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women watched beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. She opened it and saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then her sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So Moses gets rescued by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. (laughs) The family who desired to destroy them is the one who's now taken them in. And Moses, it appears, grew up knowing his Hebrew family, the mother who nursed him, but also his adopted Egyptian family. Stephen tells us this about Noah. Look at this, Acts chapter 7, verse 22 And and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in word and deed. In other words, Moses got the best Egyptian public school education you could ever ask for. He went and he got trained. He got all of these things told to him. And in this, Moses is prepared for his work. And notice, key to this preparation for Moses' life were the women in his life. Consider his mother, She acted on faith in God's promise. She's a rescuer. She's a brave woman defying Pharaoh, isn't she? Going, Pharaoh, I don't care what you say. You want to put my baby to death, but I'm going to rescue. I'm going to take a risk. Consider the faith it would take to place your newborn baby in a tiny boat on a river and trust that God would provide. Consider his sister. We'll learn later her name is Miriam. She followed baby Moses all the way down the river to see what would happen. She acted as, by faith as a caregiver. She sees that Moses gets taken up by Pharaoh's daughter, and she goes to her and says, I'm going to find you someone to nurse, and happens to go get the mother. She has no way of knowing if by coming and doing this, Pharaoh's going to kill Moses and kill them too. And to give you a little context, Miriam's likely younger than a teenager here and is doing that. And even consider Pharaoh's daughter. She certainly wasn't a woman of faith, at least not a woman with faith in Yahweh and his promises. But even she displays pity for this Hebrew baby once she gets in proximity to him. We don't read that she cared about any of the other Hebrew babies they were drowning in the river. But she cared about this one. God put a common kindness even in this pagan princess that acted to save him. And we read, Pharaoh's daughter sent Miriam to find a woman to nurse. And so Pharaoh's daughter, Moses' mother, and Miriam are all working together to take care of him. So let me just say something that's a little culturally unpopular, but on display in this passage. Women matter. We live in a culture today where people can't even tell you what a woman is. They want to erase 
women's sports. They want to erase what makes women unique. And our culture today will try to erase them, but God wants us to see that they matter a lot. Women, you matter. And so often, the church's theology of women ends with Eve was deceived by the forces of darkness. But Exodus shows us these women were pulling one over on the forces of darkness. The deliverer was delivered by his mother, his sister, and Pharaoh's daughter. That women have played a unique role in the plan of God. Think about Mary. (laughs) You don't really have Jesus without his mama giving birth and caring for him, do you? This may seem, ob- may, may seem obvious to us, but we need to remember that every deliverer needed a mother, needed a sister, needed an aunt. Think about all the women that were caring for Jesus at the tomb. They needed to be born, to be nursed, to be raised, to be educated. This is a reminder. Motherhood is a sacred calling. Femininity and womanhood means being bold and standing in the face of evil to protect and to nourish those in danger. In fact, I'd encourage you to go home, ladies. Mark down this verse, 1 Peter 3, 6. encourage you to go home, read it, because it tells you that what makes a woman godly is her fearlessness to do the right thing. Her fearlessness to do good, even if it might cost her something. And this boldness can begin young. Think about the fact, again, Miriam would have been 12 years old or younger. And so see the bold, faithful women on display. And look, if you're looking for a role model, young women in in this church, look here. Look to the other bold women of faith we have in this church and walk in it. In the promises and the hope of God. And through it all, Moses is delivered from death through an ark, and he's prepared for his role as a deliverer through the influence of these three women. A Hebrew is now an Egyptian royalty. The people who are being destroyed now have an advocate and a representative before their enemy. Does this sound familiar? (laughs) Is there ever a time where a son of Abraham has served in the house of Egypt before? Again, the past was helping them understand the present. They saw that Moses was like Adam, like Noah, and third, that he was a new Joseph, that Moses is a sort of new Joseph. He has now come into the house of Egypt, and we see this in a couple ways. First, we see it first that Moses is exalted to the palace. A Hebrew now sits in a place of authority in Egypt. Again, I don't think this is just coincidence. I think God has planned this this way. He is Pharaoh's grandson, and you know, grandfathers, if your grandson asks for something, he's going to get it, right? They actually, you probably, some of you may even like your grandson's more likely to get something than if your son's asking you for it, right? And we learned he lived there for 40 years. And we don't hear much more about him over these 40 years, do we? We don't hear much about him from birth to 40, but we see he dwells in Pharaoh's house, and then Moses sees something that changes everything. Verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. 
Think about this. God saw the people's burdens. Now Moses saw the people's burdens. And he steps in to deliver a Hebrew who's beaten by an Egyptian. And scripture actually later helps us understand this was likely an act of defense. This Egyptian was probably going to kill this Hebrew. So he stepped in to rescue him. But Moses was obviously still concerned. Even if you're going to go in and do self-defense, he kind of did a okay, and then ran in, killed this Egyptian, and buried him in the sand quietly, and just sort of went on about his day. (laughs) And whether Moses did something morally wrong in defending this Hebrew, you can go read all the commentators who fought about this that, that I looked at this week, but Moses is very concerned about being found out. But also notice he was very concerned about a man he considered to be his brother. It's important to see that while Moses was raised in Egypt, he saw his identity as a Hebrew. They could raise him in Egypt. They could educate him as an Egyptian, but he knew who he was. He didn't let the world or even his circumstances define who he was. He saw an Egyptian beating the Hebrew, and he said, this is one of my people. Hear this, believer, the culture will try to define you. They'll say that, well, you're raised here, and you're in America, and all other Americans do this, therefore you should do this. (laughs) All the other Egyptians are beating the Hebrew slaves. Come on, Moses. Why are you going to try to defend them? Others will try to define you based on how you were raised or who your parents were or even the small town you might be from. But hear this, God's word and God's promises get the final word on who you are. It did for Moses. Moses didn't let the fact he grew up in Egypt cause him to mistreat and to separate from God's promised people. Moses knew he was a son of promise and there was no way Egypt could take that out of him. He is, in a sense, in the world, but not of the world. And no matter what this world may say to you, if you are in Christ and he is your Savior and Lord, you are a son or daughter of God, first and foremost. And that's what Moses knew. We're defined by Jesus' shed blood, and we're chosen, forgiven, beloved, called, and given a purpose. Even in the midst of Egypt, we are God's first and foremost. And we've got to remember who we are in order to do what God has called us to do. And we see that in the life of Moses. The next day, Moses gets himself in even more trouble, doesn't he? And look what happens the next day, verse 13. When, we run out, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why did you strike your companion? And the man answered him, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. So Moses steps in to this dispute between two Hebrews and he tries to help settle it. And I probably wouldn't have liked this either. Right? I would have been like, bro, what are, who are you? Why are you trying to tell me what to do? They not only didn't like it, they rejected Moses. Doesn't this sound familiar? Someone, uh, someone who's exalted to the house of Egypt, who is rejected by his people. This is what we see with, Mo- with, uh, with Moses. He was exalted to the palace, and he was rejected by his people. Just like Joseph was. 
The Hebrews didn't want the one they saw to be a traitor acting as a judge and ruler over them, so they reject him. And news of the incident with the Egyptian man had gotten out. People were afraid. And he didn't simply get rejected by his blood family. Even his adopted family rejects him. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Moses has double rejection here. The the Egyptians rejected him, and even his people, the nation of Israel, rejected him. So he flees to the land of Midian. And now, many of us may not think much about Midian, but think of Midian sort of as the distant, wild cousins of the nation of Israel. He picks up and he goes to the cousin's house, because where else are you going to go, right? And he goes there. The Midians actually descended through Abraham and a woman named Keturah, and he'd given up all hope probably. And he goes and God brought him to Midian to find new life at a well, which seemed like a misdirection becomes God's direction toward Moses's calling. Look at verse 16. At this well, look what he finds. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flocks. And when they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, how is it that you've come home so soon? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and Moses gave and, and he gave Moses his daughter Sipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. So Moses arrives in Midian. He's at this well. He sees all this going on with these daughters and these shepherds. And he goes on to become a shepherd. And Moses finds new life as a sojourner with a new family. Think about it. What seemed to Moses like the end of his life and the end of his world becomes a new beginning. God had to take him out of Egypt before Moses could then lead the people back out of Egypt. This change of plans was all part of God's plan and his plan for preparation for him. Consider maybe your life isn't going as planned. (laughs) Maybe you have found yourself in Midian by a well going, my life never should have went this way. This is not how I intended. This is not what I wanted. Life isn't going my way. Hang tight and be faithful. In the, in the example of Moses, God was about to bring new life in unexpected places. New life at a well. And he was going to use this to prepare Moses for a greater calling that Moses would have never even imagined. In fact, in the book of Exodus, or book of Genesis, in the previous book, you'll see that life change almost always happened at a well. Because at the well was where the patriarchs all met their wives. (laughs) Specifically, this tells us one last thing about Moses. Again, they were looking to the past and All over Moses' life, we saw that he looked like these other men of faith. He looked like Adam and Noah and Joseph. And fourth, Moses looked like Jacob. 
That's right, I heard somebody say it. You caught where I was going with that. Specifically, Moses looks like Jacob. Jacob, remember, was the father of the nation of Israel. He was later given the namesake of the nation. And here we see Moses meeting a wife among the Midians, and Jacob met his wife at a well, too. Both of the guys rescued the girl, and the dad loved him so much, gave him and got him married. He watered their flocks. Friends, how romantic is that, right? He watered their flocks, and the guy's like, I'll keep him, right? This is great. And Moses is going to play an important role to this nation, even as monumental as its founder. But we got to recognize, looking like Adam and Noah and Joseph and Jacob sounds really good until you realize those are all four men that blew it big time, didn't they? Think about Adam. Noah, I mean, Noah, when he got off the boat, I don't want to relive that, but you can go read what occurred when he got off that boat. He started planting a vineyard, and things just got a little out of hand. Joseph certainly wasn't a man without sin. And Jacob, remember, his name literally meant deceiver. And even when you changed his name to Israel, his name was he who struggles with God. That wasn't a compliment. And so Moses being like Adam and Noah and Joseph and Jacob means he's like you. Moses was a sinner. Moses is not going to be a perfect, sinless deliverer. And while he might deliver the nation, Moses himself was going to need a savior from sin. Moses is going to go on to talk in the book of Exodus all about these sacrifices that people needed to make. And yet Moses himself was going to need a sacrifice made for himself. Moses was going to need someone to deliver him from his own sin. Moses was going to need someone to deliver him from his own sin. And that wouldn't come for thousands of years. Moses was going to spend 40 years in Midian, all while his people longed for a deliverer. But we'll see even Moses couldn't bring perfect deliverance. He couldn't bring forgiveness of sin. Moses needed a better and a greater deliverer. And if Moses needed it, how much more do we? And this is where the gospel comes in. Because Moses points us forward toward a greater Savior, toward a future deliverer who would be like Adam and Noah and Joseph and Jacob and Moses, but without sin. And he would bring perfect deliverance. God sent a new and better Moses to save us from our sins. God has sent someone who is a new and better Moses to save us from our sins, and his name is Jesus Christ. Think about this. Jesus was born under threat of death, just like Moses. Matthew chapter 2, we read that he's rescued through fleeing in and out of Egypt. Jesus was rejected by those who came to save, and he was exalted higher than Egypt over all things, and he calls us to follow him into a new and greater promised land. But Jesus did what Moses could never do. Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners. He was what all the law of Moses is going to point toward. And Jesus rose again from the dead to bring an even greater act of deliverance. Deliverance from sin, death, hell, and the grave. We read this in the book of Hebrews. This is what we read. Hebrews chapter 3. Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. 
Consider that even greater deliverance than Moses, Jesus would bring. But how will you respond to an unlikely deliverer like Moses or even an unlikely deliverer like Jesus? No one would have thought on the surface that some baby boy born to a Hebrew mother would ever bring about deliverance from the nation. No one would have ever thought when he went off into Pharaoh's house that anything we thought, well, he got lucky, but that's not going to do anything for me. Who would have ever thought when he's rejected and he ends up in Midian that God had a purpose to bring him back? Or consider how unlikely it would have been for a Jewish carpenter in the first century, executed on a cross, could be the light and the hope of the world. But he is. And the question is, how will you respond to an unlikely deliverer? The nation rejected him, but his mother saw through the eyes of faith. Will we look with the world's eyes on the unlikely and the seemingly insignificant, or will we look with the eyes of faith? God is preparing Moses to lead his people out of bondage and into new life. And Jesus right now is leading his people into a greater reality, even right now. And you can follow him. You can follow him on a journey to new life, to new promise, and a new and greater promise land. Maybe you need encouragement on the journey. And that's what the book of Exodus is here for, is to remind us that, friends, we don't follow after an imperfect deliverer like Moses who's going to blow it big time. We follow one who's gone ahead of us, who serves God as a son, who's a perfect deliverer, able to bring you and even your most insignificant moments at Wells and Midian and work them together for your good and your glory. We'll have a moment of response in a few moments, and maybe today you find yourself in an unlikely situation. And maybe you need prayer. My wife and I will be down here, and you can come to either of us uh, to pray in these next moments. Maybe you need to follow Jesus on his road as a greater Moses. Today you can do that. You can cry out to him right where you are. You can come talk to me and pray and begin through faith the walk toward new and greater life. Whatever you need, God is calling us to respond to his word. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you thankful that you sent a deliverer, that you hear your people's prayers and you hear our prayers even now. The word of God reminds us that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, Lord, we ask in these moments that you would hear us as we cry to you. Whatever we may need salvation from, and ultimately for salvation from our sins, that you would hear us, and that we would see that you have already sent the deliverer to die on the cross in our place and to rise again on the third day so that death and sin and hell would no longer be masters over us, but so that we could step into new, everlasting, glorious life. Lord, encourage us wherever we are as we call to you, knowing that you hear and you respond and you answer. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so service, we close with a reminder of God's promise and God's blessing that follows you outside these doors and into the world wherever it may bring you. This from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. 
Amen.